Hello and welcome to the Student Teacher Lounge. I am your host, Callie. Um, remember how last week I mentioned that um, I was ahead on homework? I hate to break it to you all, but I am no longer ahead. Um, in fact, I might be what some would consider behind. Um, so that was short-lived, uh, as I expected. I'm sorry, Mom. I hope you're not listening, but that's all right. Um, yeah, I hope you guys have had a good week. I am um, kind of excited to be talking to you again, just sort of given the lowdown, my week has been a little bit, um, interesting, not, not bad, not necessarily overly good, but, um, I do have my notebook right beside me, ready to go to talk through, um, my rather, rather busy week. So, you know, first things first, you guys have heard me mention a lot about EdTPA and um, I've, you know, I've talked about this before where, you know, it's the licensure program um, and exam that they use in the state of Tennessee and many other states, but specific to Tennessee um, in order to determine whether or not a teacher candidate is fit for licensure. So this week has been um, a little bit of a focus on getting elements of that prepped and ready to go. And I thought I would talk you through a little bit of the steps that you have to go through, not so much to fill out the, um, you know, the commentary and all of the actual documents that you submit, but some of the outside work that, um, can just add to the time that this, this project takes, um, one of the things I do want to note is that a TPA is something that a lot of states require. Um, a lot of teacher candidates have to do it. And like I mentioned last week, it's a relatively new requirement. Um, but this is not unique to me and my situation. It is um, a relatively common experience within the last five years or so, at least as, as far as I understand in the field of education. Um, so to break it down, there's three elements that you have to work through and they're called tasks. So these tasks, the first one is planning and that's really about writing your lesson plans and taking into account all of the unique needs of students in your classroom. Then there is task two, which is called the instruction task, um, and it involves videotaping yourself teaching the lessons that you wrote for task one. And then task three is assessments. So that is about um, the how you're going to measure student learning from your lessons in tasks one and two. Um, so all of these these three tasks, you have to write different commentaries with them. And if you want me to go into more detail on how that works and what that looks like, I am more than happy to. But uh, for today, what I wanted to talk about is how there are other little elements that you have to work in to your EdTPA that might be difficult or are a little bit challenging when you're a student teacher in this new placement for the first time. Um, 
So for example, you have to write something called a context for learning. What that is, is a document that explains about your classroom. Now, all students are protected and anonymous. Um, the school remains anonymous. You're not even supposed to know um, what district you're teaching in, you're the teacher candidate is working in. Um, but this context for learning outlines different details that the um, scorer needs to know or understand in order to contextualize your lesson plans. So for example, you're asked to put the different unique needs of students on your context for learning, meaning if you have a student with dyslexia or ADHD or um, other different types of learning disabilities, you would mention, you would put that on that context for learning. All you would say is that you have a student with an IEP of a learning disability. It's very generic, but what in that regard, what is the specific part is you have to put what you as the teacher need to do or required to do by the binding document in order to enhance their learning and to make them you know, um, thrive in the classroom. So for example, I had to go through and work with my mentor teacher, um, at some point when we were both not already busy, uh, in order to figure out what are the accommodations that I'm required by the state to give specific students? Um, how many of them are there? You know, what are their qualifications? Um, which can be, it's a, it's private information, right? So you're, it's a delicate thing to be talking about. So we don't talk about it when there's other people around, when there's other students, especially around. Um, but so that was one of the first things we had to work on. The other thing is that videotape, um, you have to get you have to receive permission from your students or your students' parents, depending on their age, um, in order to film them and to use their work in your assessments and in your um, submissions to the state for EdTPA. Um, these permission slips are, there's not a specific one that you have to use. Some different counties require different things. The one that I work in has a specific exact letter that they send out that they want that exact wording. Um, and what I wrote down on my accomplishment for Monday was that I got 18 of these permission slips back. Um, I, it sounds like something silly. But without those permission slips, I wouldn't be able to show their faces, their voices, say their names in the video at all. And so the more students who don't give those back, the more I have to work around when I'm filming. And that um, kind of becomes a bit of an awkward scenario. So I got 18 permission slips back. I have 24 students in my class, so we're we're chugging along. I'm not going to be filming for another couple weeks, so I still have time to get the rest of those permission slips back. But um, I've been working on 
that unit that I'm planning for EdTPA that I'm writing those lesson plans for and that I'm going to be filming. Um, And I'm very excited about it. It's going to be over the age of exploration, which is, um, I took an entire semester class on just that segment alone. And I'm only spending maybe 10 days on it max um, in my class uh, for these students. So I was, I'm kind of thrilled to get to go back to it. I have a a good bit of knowledge about it, but um, these kids never seem to be quite as excited as I am about social studies. Um, Although they're starting to enjoy it, I think, or I hope. I've been working on guided notes, which is what my mentor teacher uses in her classroom and I've adopted um, partially for the continuity for the students, but also because I really enjoy the way that they interact with the notes. Um, We use a lot of questions that are derived or taken directly from the state assessment materials because um, one of the things that we have learned since having students be um, educated differently because of the pandemic is that these students haven't learned the same study skills that we would expect for seventh graders to have picked up by now. So we've had to go back and kind of reteach a little bit of how to study, how to read through questions, how to take those tests. Um, So these guided notes, some of the wording comes directly from the state assessments or former state assessments. And the reason that my mentor teacher does this is to get the students used to reading that kind of language and interpreting that kind of language to understand the question. Um, At first, you know, if you had asked me while I was just studying, not quite yet in the field, I would have said, well, that's too easy. It's, you're just giving them the answer. But I've seen more and more that they do know the information, whether or not they've read it in that exact sentence or whether or not they've had to pull it from other sources. We've we've done a little bit of both. Um, and it's fascinating to see that the students, they don't seem, and I haven't conducted any official research on this, but it doesn't seem as though using the exact language of the state assessment versus using more colloquial or narrative style language, um, it doesn't seem that it makes much of a difference for my students. Um, And besides, the way that the state measures whether or not they are eligible to move on to the next grade is through that state assessment. So if they can pass it because they've seen the language so many times, then great. They'll remember some of the content. Now, again, this doesn't work in every classroom and this doesn't work in every discipline. Our state, our district, our discipline, it works a little bit better just because memorization is in some part always going to be in social studies. Um, I don't make my students memorize dates, but I do ask them to 
recognize, you know, chronology is important and learning what things occurred before other things, even when we've talked about them in not chronological order. Um, they're important and it's stuff that needs to be done. But I say all this to say my students have guided notes <laughs> and these guided notes, we use the phrasing, we use the same words that we see in the state assessment to get them prepared for it. And I've just finished this week writing up the guided notes for the age of exploration unit. Um, and I've also been working on the reformation unit, um, kind of helping out my mentor teacher. We've been collaborating. Um, they are used to routine, my students. I don't know if that's just this particular group, if that's because my teacher has set this routine and they like that routine. But if I deviate a little bit from what they're used to, I usually will get an earful about it. So this week has been kind of starting to get that background stuff built up for EdTPA, um, trying to make sure that I'm setting myself up to teach a good set of lessons for my students that encourage questioning, encourage collaboration, and teach them not only content, but also um, the skill of analysis. Um, so we're going to be looking at political cartoons, I think, and diving into what it means to analyze them. Um, and when I say political cartoons, these are very um, non-political, actually. They're more like historical cartoons, but the phrase really is just political cartoons. So I'm excited to share that with them. Um, I'm excited to share that with you and and tell you how all that goes. Um, we'll see. I'm not, I'm not nervous, but I am not sure that they've seen a whole lot of it in the past. So it'll be interesting to see how they take to it and what, um, struggles they encounter that I might not be anticipating. So, um, thank you so much for hanging out with me in the student teacher lounge. Again, I am your host, Callie. I would love to hear any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, curiosities that you might have. After all, my job is to answer questions. Um, and I'll see you next time. I look forward to talking with you again.